and verse number 17. Psalm 51 and verse number 17. Psalm 51, 17, and for uh, the last uh, few uh, weeks we have been uh, dealing with and speaking of the issue of um, our humility. And uh, may I say to you that there's a, a lot in the Scriptures that uh, bring before us the issue of uh, humility, and um, we obviously need to uh, get a grip on it and function within humility. But uh, there's a, a thing I think can, can help us if, if we think of it in these terms, and let me show you this. You need to think of the fact that when you came into this world, this is what uh, you came in packaged with. You came in packaged with pride, and that's just the way we are. That's we were born sinners, and part of the idea of being a sinner is being self-centered. Uh, sinners are self-centered. It's not that they, they just are sinners. They are self-centered sinners. So the fact is that's the way all of us were born. We were independent. Uh, we wanted to do our own thing, and we wanted to do our own thing in our own way. Pride really is a descriptive point about the whole function of people coming into this world. The second thing then we ran into right away, once you uh, begin to read the Bible, you found out very quickly that there was a thing that's called humility. And humility was something that the Bible promotes. It's like a character trait to say that uh, every person ought to be humble. And the problem with that is this is so contradictory to that that something drastic has to take place to change person who is filled with this to be clothed with that. And so the Bible doesn't just say to us, uh, it'd be nice if you would be humble. It says, in effect, that you need to be clothed with it. In fact, you know the verse. Look, if you would, before we get to Psalm 51, look over to the verse that uh, I'm sure you're well aware of. It's in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 5, and uh, this would be one of those good verses to uh, memorize. 1 Peter chapter 5, and look down to verse 5. The Bible says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. The passage of Scripture is in a context of talking about uh, the relationship of people in a fellowship of church and so forth. That's why the reference is to the elder here who would be a leader. And then is these folks to whom he's speaking, and especially in verse 5 when he talks about you younger, uh, that'd be the folks who are young in the faith and who may be new to the fellowship, that he encourages them, the younger, to submit themselves to the elder. And the problem with that is is because typically the younger you are, the more of this you've got that you have not yet gotten rid of. and it's uh, tainting everything that you do. And so the fact is that the Bible is very clear that uh, the Lord doesn't uh, have a good relationship with proud people. In fact, he says he resisteth the proud. The word resisteth carries with it the idea of pushing the arm out. You know, if somebody comes up to you and they get too close to you and they're, they're threatening you and you put your arm out, it carries that idea puts his arm out against people who are proud. Now, I don't have to tell you, uh, for the Lord himself to put his arm out against us, as if to say to resist you, 
because there's something about their character, then obviously that character has got to change. So much of the Bible is given over to the ideal of being humble, which is uh, the Lord gives grace to that. He reaches out and gives you what you do not deserve when you're humble. If you're proud, he resists you. If you're humble, he gives you what you do not even deserve. He gives you more than you ask for. He gives you things that you may have not perceived you needed. He's gracious and he's kind to those who are humble. But to the proud, he stiff-arms you. He resists you, pushes you back. And the reason is simple, because this is a very rebellious kind of attitude. And that's the way you and I both were born. All of us were born into this world rebels. And the consequence of that is that the Lord can't work with a rebel. He has to break him. He has to change him. He has to alter him so he can use him. And it happens, uh, it happens all through the Scripture. The Scriptures are full of the illustrations of it. But the third thing is, is this. This is only the, the second part of this point. And uh, the third one is we put down the word broken. In fact, we probably put down the word brokenness. Because that's really where the Lord would take us if we were to cooperate with him. But the second thing here concerning humility in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, it's interesting because here he says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with humility. The word in the, the Greek language means to be engirdled with. And it means to be engirdled with, and the word engirdled is a word that's often used in the Bible for the word apron. It's what someone puts on when they're going to serve someone. You know, when I was growing up uh, in the South, my, uh, uh, my grandmother did it and my mother did it. And uh, I think anybody and everybody in our household who worked in the kitchen, they always had these aprons that went down, you know, about here. And they put them over your neck and then tied them around the back so the whole of your front was covered. And so the assumption of that was I always thought you were a messy fixer. But I don't know what they meant. But I just know they all put on big, long aprons and they went to work. What it said was all those people are servants. They're serving. They're preparing the food. They're getting ready to put it on the table, and they're getting ready for us to eat this thing. So the point is that's exactly what it is in the Scripture. The word clothed here means to engirdle. It means to put on an apron. It means to say to people around you, I'm going to serve you. Now, that's humility. Is to say, I, I don't want you to serve me. I'm going to serve you. That's what the text of Scripture is talking about. For the younger... You submit yourself into the older. What does he mean by that? You younger people put on the apron of service to the older and say to them, say, look, I don't want you serving me. I'm going to serve you. I put on my, my apron, my girl, and it's a badge of servitude. In fact, that's one of the definitions of it, badge of servitude. It's an apron. It's a girl that gives you the, uh, the uh, attention, if you call it, or the symbolism of telling people around you, I'm a servant. I'm not here to be served. I'm a servant here. And we would do the same thing if you walked into a catering service or a banquet and you saw all these people that dressed alike and they had this, uh, you know, like a frontal thing of an apron on you'd say those are the people who work for the catering service and they're here to serve us. You don't have to go up to them and serve them. They came to serve you. What this says is that every believer, especially those in this category, in this fellowship, the younger ought to put on the girdle of service so that all those people around them would know we're here to serve you. 
not the reverse order. So that's what the Lord is commanding here. So this is something that he encourages us to put on. This is something you're born with. You're born with this, and you've got to add that, and he'll fix this. You can't break yourself. Uh, let me show you the verse. It's back now to Psalm 51. Look at Psalm 51. Look at verse number 17. Psalm 51, verse 17 simply says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. What's important about this is that the Hebrew word, they're crushed. For instance, uh, one thing, you can't have grape juice without crushed grapes. Let me ask you a question. How many of you had a piece of bread of some kind for lunch? Bread. Do you have bread for lunch? You raise your hand. Any kind. Bread. Any kind. Did you know you couldn't even have that were it not that the grain had been crushed and made into a form whereby they could make a flour, whereby they could make the bread that you ate? There's a lot of things that we take for granted that we just eat, never think a thing about them, but it took some crushing to get them to a state where you and I could enjoy them. That happens a lot of things with a lot of illustrations that even in the world in which you and I walk and live. One of the things, though, that's interesting, and this is a, a word that carries with it a similar illustration of this, but it's in the New Testament. Look, if you would, at John's Gospel, and look over, if you would, John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. In John chapter 12, look down, uh, look down if you would, to verse number 24. John chapter 12 and verse number 24, it says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What's important about this context of John's writing is about the Lord Jesus Christ who gives this illustration, and it's really about him because what he's saying is this. Uh, I've been here on the earth, and uh, I've healed a lot of people, but I've not healed everybody. I have uh, restored sight to some folks, and, but not everybody. There have been a lot of things I've done, but the fact of the matter is that was not all the Father's will. That is, that's not all that's incorporated into it. He's got a bigger will, and I've got to accomplish that. And there's only one way for that to be accomplished. I have to die. And the illustration is he uses himself as the illustration to say, but that's what you have to do also. That's this thing about brokenness. This is the thing that has to happen. For some things to grow, they have to die. In fact, the truth is, from a biology standpoint, every grain that you put in the soil, that outer shell has to die away so that inside of it there's a spark of life that begins to pop up through the ground and uh, all of a sudden you've got all these beautiful plants and it came because the seed had to die. And as it died off, eventually it will be shed off. 
and then the next thing you know, I, I have potatoes in my, my garden and about a row and a half, and, and they look like a million-dollar row and a half. I mean, they're as beautiful as you could imagine, and everything is just wonderful about them. But a few years ago, last year, I guess, they looked exactly the same way. And when we dug the potatoes, we threw every single one of them away. Because things can look good on the surface, but unless what happens underground is in conjunction with productivity, it just doesn't work. And what didn't work was we had too much rain, and so we had all this top growth that looked wonderful, but the seed down under that is the piece of the potato that you cut and make sure you have two eyes or three eyes in it when you bury it and you plant it you plant it with the eyes going up and all those kind of things that you do to precision to plant it to make it work if all that doesn't work down there and that thing doesn't die off the way it should you won't get any potatoes or if you do get potatoes and you get too much of any of the elements rain or whatever else it won't produce so in this illustration the Lord uses about himself but he's really using an illustration to say now what I have to do you have to do too in order for you to accomplish the father's will you'll have to die to self. And that may seem so simple and it seems so trite, but is an absolute in the scriptures. Absolute. There is no alternative to this happening, and I believe that's why John makes a big deal about quoting our Lord when he was speaking and saying, except this corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, if it die, it'll bring forth much fruit. You look at it this way, the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished a lot while he's here on the earth, but nowhere near what he accomplished by dying on the cross for the sin of the world. So he says, look, you can, you can take the seed and put it in your hand, and you can look at it and marvel at it and appreciate it, but it won't do anything. But if you plant that thing, you can take the seed from it, and let's say if you took, uh, if you took a grain of wheat, uh, if you kept planting every grain of seed that from a wheat stem you got and you kept planting it, you never did use any of it, you just kept every year planting it back until you could produce probably millions of grains of wheat by just them reproducing themselves. That's the story of the gospel that Jesus Christ was producing. He was saying that when I die not fulfilling the Father's will by dying will affect more lives than I could ever do by just walking around talking to people now. And the effect of it would be eternally done by my death on the cross, my burial, and my resurrection. He is also saying this is going to be true of you. He, in effect, is telling these disciples every disciple has to die to self. And that takes some breaking. That's where the Bible uses the word, in fact, that word that saying that to you because uh, one, you can't break yourself. You can want to be the best servant of the Lord. You can desire it with all your heart. But uh, if you can't give up those things that we call the self-life and you just keep hanging on to them, the problem is you become unusable. You're not profitable to the Lord. So what has to happen you have to be crushed. 
usually it's this point in the Christian life that folks say, hey, thank you, but no thank you. I think I'll take another route and get into another program. I'm not interested in being crushed or broken or whatever else. But that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about, about dying. When you die to self, it is a matter of brokenness. Because when you really get to a point where you're dead to self, you'll see yourself for who you really are. And you'll never exalt yourself again. I ran across a, a list a long time ago, and uh, I've, I've used them repeatedly in uh, talking to myself. When I'm in my office and I'm reviewing uh, uh, for my devotional thoughts, I, I review these. They're helpful to me, and I think they'd be helpful to you. I'll ask you and plead your patience with it. Let me share them with you, and uh, if they're a benefit to the Lord, be the glory, because the person who wrote them wrote them with that purpose. But they did it in a good way. They put about the word proud, and then underneath they worked the road, wrote the word broken. And there's a whole bunch of them. And if you are like me, there will be a bunch of them that will hit you right between the eyes. And it will show you whether you're proud or you're broken. Now remember, if you're not broken, you're not going to produce the fruit because you have to, like the grain of, uh, of corn, you have to... Uh, you have to die to self to be fruitful and effective. So there is no effectiveness. You wouldn't be able to affect your family. You won't be able to affect your coworkers. You won't be able to affect your neighbors unless you're dead to self. Because the tendency is if you're alive to self, you have a tendency to promote self. And that kills the witness. The Lord does not bless self-centered witnessing. He blesses Christ-centered witnessing. When the sun is lifted up, I'll draw men to him. And if you're not lifting him up, he's not going to work with you. You're just, you're just blowing hot air. You're not accomplishing anything. Because you have to die. You have to be crushed. You have to be broken. Because he knows you're not going to give up the self-life without it. These are some ideas to help you do that. You judge yourself as I judge myself. The word proud, it focuses on the failures of others. Broken, is overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Proud, I have a critical, fault-finding spirit. Look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but I want you to look at t with a telescope at mine. Proud, are self-righteous, look down on others, broken, esteem all others better than myself. Proud, have an independent, self-sufficient spirit. Broken, have a dependent spirit. Recognize that others need for others. Proud have a, to prove that they are right always. Broken are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud claims rights have demanding spirit. Broken yields their rights and have a meek spirit and understands they have no rights in the circle of Christ fellowship. Proud are self-protective of their time, their rights, and their reputation. Broken are self-denying. Proud desires to be served. Broken are motivated to serve others. Proud desire to be successful. Broken are motivated to be faithful and to let success come as it will. Proud desire of self-advancement. Broken desires to promote others above oneself. Proud 
have a drive to be recognized, broken, have a sense of their own unworthiness, are thrilled that God would use them at all. Proud are wounded when others are promoted and they are overlooked and are offended, broken, are eager for others to get the credit, rejoice when the others are lifted up, proud, have a subconscious feeling. This ministry, this church is privileged to have me and my gift and think of what they could do if they would allow me to do God's work here. Broken, have a hard attitude. I don't deserve to have a part in any ministry. I know that they have nothing to offer God except the life of Jesus Christ flowing through me in a brokenness of life. Proud, feel confident in how much they know, broken, are humble by how very much they have to learn. Proud are self-conscious, broken, are not concerned about self at all. Proud keep others at an arm's length, broken, are willing to risk getting close to others in order to accept the risk of loving and caring and ministering to them. Proud are quick to blame others, broken, accepts personal responsibility and can see where they're wrong in a given situation. Proud are unapproachable or defensive when criticized, broken, receives criticism with a humble spirit, acknowledges that people are right. Uh, just a stop line here for a moment. I uh, was, uh, I was greeted by a man the other night, a man who uh, a few years ago uh, sat in the New Life Baptist Church, his pastor's office, and uh, for 25 to 35 minutes, uh, he called me everything that he could name that was unpleasant, unkind, and gracious. He called me names that I wouldn't even repeat to you. And, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, deep down in my heart, uh, I sat there and said to myself, I said, he's probably right on all counts, but I'm not telling him that he's right. You know, I'm going to let him, if that's what he feels, that's fine. I never said anything while he spoke. I gave him 25, 30 minutes of his own time, and he spoke for that time almost nonstop. When he got done, I said, is that everything? And he said, yes. And he got up and he walked out. Well, he saw me the other night, and he came up to me, and um, he said, I just want to tell you I love you. And I said to myself, myself, this guy is either lying through his teeth or he doesn't understand. If you would judge a man the way he judged me and call him everything that he called me, you wouldn't want to be near this guy. And so he said, I'm going to come one day and I'm going to meet you in your office and I'm going to aggravate you. That's what he said. I said, come ahead. But let me tell you, when he comes back, I'm going to ask him, why would you want anything to do with a person as bad as you criticized and what you said about me. Why would you want to do that? Now, we're going to have to get that straightened out before we can go further to believe this guy is legitimate, trustworthy, and that he is a man of his word. Now, the point about that is I don't want you to be that kind of person. You may have a lot of feelings about a lot of people and some of which you don't necessarily care for. But may I say to you, many times when people criticize you, they may be telling you the absolute truth. And nobody else may tell you that. And this guy may have been, what he said and what he said to me, maybe he hit points that I needed to hear. And that very day, I believe the Lord worked in my heart about one of these elements here, about proud, 
and broken. There was nothing in my heart that wanted me to answer any of his charges. I just asked him when he got done, are, are you finished? And he said, yes. I said, well, thank you for coming by. Shook his hand, and he walked out. Did it bother me? Absolutely bothered me. And if someone sat down and criticized you on every point and every aspect of what you thought was your work and your ministry, I'm sure it'll bother you. But let me say this to you. Die to self. Die to self. Don't let it get under your skin. Or you can say to yourself, who is he to tell me what I am? You can say that. But the truth is, he may be telling you the truth. He may be criticizing you in ways that nobody else would dare tell you. So the point made about this is, I believe that everybody who comes into your life has an effect on making it better or worse. And what you do with what they tell you will probably decide which way it goes. Whether you become better or whether you become worse. Just don't become proud. If they criticize you, accept the criticism and move on from there. Just don't let it become a stumbling block for you to be proud and arrogant and that offends you and upsets you and angers you. I hope that you'll take that to heart. It's also important to note the proud, <clears throat> proud, uh, let me skip a few. There's going to be too many of these to deal with. The proud are quick to blame others and accept the broken, accept personal responsibility where they are wrong in a given situation. The proud are concerned with being respectable and that others, how they think of them, and they work to protect their own image and their own reputation. The broken are real, and what matters to them is not what others think, but what God knows and are willing to die to their reputation to make sure they're right with him. Proud finds it difficult to share their spiritual needs with other people. The broken are willing to be open and transparent with others as God directs them. Proud, they want to be sure that no one finds out when they have sinned. Their instinct is to cover it up. The broken don't care who knows or who finds out. They are willing to be exposed because they have nothing to lose. They know God is watching. The proud have a hard time saying, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? The broken are quick to admit failure and seek forgiveness when it's necessary. The proud deal in generalities when confessing sin. The broken are able to acknowledge specific sins and confess those specific sins when they bow before the Lord. The proud are concerned about consequences of their sin. The broken are grieved over the cause, but the root of the sin is what troubles them the most. The proud are remorseful over their sin, sorry that they found out or got caught. The broken are genuinely repentant over their sin and evidenced in the fact they go on to forsake it. It's also the proud wait for the other to come and ask forgiveness when there is a misunderstanding or conflict in a relationship. The broken take the initiative to be reconciled. When there's a misunderstanding or a conflict in a relationship, they race to get to the cross first, no matter how wrong the other may have, in fact, actually been. The proud compare themselves with others and feel worthy of honor. The broken compare themselves to the holiness of God and feel desperately lacking. The proud are blind to their true heart condition. The broken walk in the light. The proud don't think they needed to repent. The broken realize they need 
a continual heart attitude of repentance day in and day out. The proud don't think they need revival, but are absolutely sure everyone else does. The broken sense their need for a fresh encounter with the Lord and for fresh filling of His Spirit. It's interesting that uh, when I first read these years ago, um, and I had them in my Bible then, and I've kept them there pretty much all, all the time since, it's amazing how many things that I have bumped into along the way that have uh, confronted me with these matters. And um, as I was confronted with them, I recognized that there was a lot of moon life that I had not died to self in. There were some things that I was pretty clear on. That wasn't any problem. But there were some areas that I just really liked sort of nerve endings. You know, you touch on those and you really got a fuss on your hands. And so I realized that I had not died to self concerning those matters. And that's where I began to ask the Lord just one by one of these areas of my life. Help me to be less defensive and let me to be open to the criticism that may come in light of this and help me to accept it and accept it with a kind of spirit that it comes from you. And so I say to you that this business of dying to self is not easy. And you're not going to have an easy time with it. And um, what will happen is it's easy to go a little way down the road in uh, brokenness, but uh, not all the way. And um, the consequence is that sometimes the Lord has to uh, uh, do some very um, difficult, surgical kind of incisions into our lives to get us to see that we're still too self-centered. We're still too concerned about ourselves, our dreams, our aspirations, our ambition, all the things that we plan for. Someone in the church a few years ago asked me this question. They said, Pastor, is it wrong to set goals for your life? And I answered it as I have years before that. I said, no, it's not wrong to set goals for your life, but you have to set the first goal is I won't make sure my goals are what he set as goals for my life. That means uh, you would say to him what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thy will be done. Because you do not want to pursue a journey that causes you to violate a whole list of things personally to get to what you want to do. I guarantee you, you will not enjoy the blessing of the Lord in doing that. You can't abandon, a, a, a man cannot abandon his family to pursue a career issue and so that if he does not treat his family the way he should and lead his family, love his wife, take care of his family, he cannot have the blessing of the Lord on his life out there in the career pursuit. You can't do that. You can't run over all these responsibilities to get to your ambition. And yet it happens all the time. Fifty percent of the counseling that's done on a national level of what we call evangelical churches have fifty percent of it is people pursuing personal ambition at the expense of personal responsibility. You can't do that. And yet it happens all the time. What's happened here? Well, the problem is they didn't die to self. They kept their own goals and said, God, here's my goal, and I want you to bless it. And the Lord said, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. you got all these responsibilities behind you. You're not taking care of these. And they said, I don't care about these. I want that. And he said, you can have it. Go at it. But you lose this. Most often lose your family. Years ago they caught it. 
workaholic syndrome, you know, where a man would pursue his goal out in front of him and he just worked himself to death to get to that thing. At that same time and same period in the counseling arena, it was like 40% of young people were growing out without a dad. He wasn't anywhere to be had. He wasn't anywhere around. And the reason was because he was so busy pursuing his own goals, he forgot his personal responsibilities. So in the thing of that, there are oftentimes a, an issue that comes up about uh, the business of brokenness. I was reading a few days ago an article about people who made decisions. And uh, Betty Stam, a missionary, um, when she was a high school student, here's what she wrote. High school student. She said, and wrote this in, a, in somewhat of a, a diary of sorts. She said, Lord, I give up all my own plans and my own purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and I accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, be thine forever. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit, use me as thou wilt, and send me where thou wilt work out thy holy will and complete will in my life at any cost now and forever. And the fact is that uh, you may or may know not know the rest of the story, but uh, the Lord used the stems immensely, and no doubt about it, in this particular case, this is part of the reason. There came a time in her life where there was a brokenness, a realization that as long as she was pursuing her own interest and her own plans and her own goals, she was going nowhere with the Lord. There was a man who wrote this. He was, uh, his name was George Murray. He ended up being a missionary to Italy. But George Mary, Murray said that for years he was willing to go but planning to stay. And he's talking about the call of God on his life. And it was not until he became willing to stay but planning to go that God called him to Italy and sent him there as a very effective and productive missionary. How does that happen? Well, uh, there has to come in there somewhere a brokenness. A person has to be broken from their pursuits of all self wants to do. And I reminded you, and I do as I did this morning in the services, uh, about uh, preaching and teaching about the world. The devil is going to do everything he can to get you to put your will first. And, and if you studied the, the testimony of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, that's precisely what the devil tried to do with him saying to him, look, you've just come off a 40-day fast, and look at these stones here on the ground. You're the Son of God. Since you're the Son of God, just say to the stones, be bread, and they'll be bread. You can eat to your heart's content. Just make them into bread. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who very well knew that he came to this world not to do his own will, as John says, but to do the Father's will. And the Father's will was that he not use his divine power to satisfy personal needs, but rather he would be a servant. He would be a 100% man as a 100% God, and he would live that way on this earth and die for man's sin. So the devil just tried to tempt him and tempt him and uh, to induce him to use his heavenly power to meet a physical personal need. That's all he wanted him, and that's all he offered him. 
Just tell the stones to turn to bread and everything will be fine. You can eat, you'll be satisfied, your hunger will be gone, and everything will be great. You deserve this. You ought to have this. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was simply saying, look, uh, this is not the issue. The issue is obedience. My obeying and doing my Father's will. To do that, whether we think of it in the same terms or not, that's part of the issue of John chapter 12, the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. And if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Jesus Christ had to die to his own will. Would he have been hungry? You bet your life he would have been. That 100% man could not go 40 days and 40 nights without eating. You try it. It would have been impossible for not to be hungry. But Jesus Christ would not allow his physical interest to override his spiritual responsibility. And that's where we fail often. We fail because we get an intense desire for something and we want it right here, right now, and we allow it to override our spiritual responsibility to it. And the consequence of that is that uh, we miss out on being an obedient servant as the Lord Jesus Christ was. So this evening I leave you with this point. And it is a big important point. If you have to wait, if, uh, if you have never trusted Christ as Savior, then, uh, uh, and your life will prove it. You know, it's not a matter of saying, as I, Brother Mike and I were talking privately a while ago, uh, it's not a matter of just being able to say, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Uh, people will find it out. You know, it'll, it'll come to the surface. Uh, in time, people will say, I thought so-and-so was a believer. Well, I guess they're not. You know, they're... They're out there in the world, they're doing their own thing, and have no interest in church, no interest in the Lord, no reading of the Bible, no uh, nothing spiritual. It's all world kind of thing now. I, I guess I was wrong. I guess they weren't believers. But if you are a believer or unbeliever, the fact is the one thing that people are going to notice about you is a characteristic of lost people is pride. That's what we were born with. And if you've got it, dangerous signal. It tells people around you that uh, I'm not saved because I, I came into the world with this pride attitude and I'm going to go out of the world with this. I, I just clean, it's just part of who I am. But when God gets a hold of a person who uh, repents of their sin and saves them, he immediately begins to work on them with humility. He begins to humble them. And if you respond to his acts of humility, the things that he brings into your life to put you down, and he brings a lot of things into people's lives that the pure intent is to show them they're to be humble. Some of the things that you could tell people about your life, I could tell you mine. I know you could. Everybody in this room could point to something in your life that was awful to you, and you would say, I don't know why that happened, other people look at that and say, I know why it happened. The Lord was humbling you. Whatever he was bringing into your life was like his uh, the illustration I put in the bulletin this morning where uh, they were talking, a teacher was talking about a yoke. What is a yoke? Now, a young boy says in the class, he said, oh, that's something you put on animals, you know, when you, you use them to work in the fields. And a little girl in the back raised her hand. The teacher said, yes. And she said, no, a yoke is when the Lord puts his arms around your neck. 
may I say that's accurate because some of the things the Lord has worked in your life with to humble you was the Lord's good grace to you. He really wanted you to humble yourself. Now, if you don't respond to that, he moves to this red letter thing, and he can't crush you. He can't crush you. I've been there, done that. It's a painful experience. You be humiliated, embarrassed, shamed. It's one of those kind of things that you can either humble yourself and put on the clothing of humility or you can wait until he crushes you but if you're ever going to be of value to him this has to happen there's no way of getting around it but he gives you an option to humble yourself be humble before the Lord die to self don't, don't talk self don't push self recognize you have no rights in the body of Christ whatever he gives to you, take it graciously and thankfully and humbly. But don't think you're worthy of it. Because nobody, but nobody is worthy of the good grace of God to serve him. Nobody in this room is worthy to honestly serve him. We have got to that privilege of whatever service we render by the grace of God. And we need to understand that. When we understand that and we die to self, then this thing of brokenness comes on in a, in a way that uh, you begin to be strengthened in that. Because once you have uh, gotten so low that you have to reach up to touch bottom, you're just now getting to a place where you'll really be of service to the Lord. Because you know it's not you. It's not your talents, not your education, it's not your skill, it's none of those things. You get to serve because of the good grace of God. And sometimes, sometimes all of those things can stand in the way. For instance, uh, sometimes what you know can hurt you for what he wants you to know. Because you know so much. You've studied so much and you've got all this stuff in your head. You know the Bible forward and backward, inside and out, you've got it all down. And what happens is that sometimes can become a stumbling block because the Bible does not elevate nor honor having a lot of knowledge without practicality. That's why it says be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, because here is filling up your head. Doing is making a practical application to it. And as I said in the morning service, in our churches, the problem we often face is, is practical application of biblical truth. We know a lot of Bible. We just don't do a lot of Bible. And that's our failure. On this one, it's a matter that it has to happen if we're to be of effectiveness because the Lord set the standard. John 12 and 24. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, if it die, and the if is the big word, if it die, it abideth alone. If it, if it dies, however, it bringeth forth much fruit. Much fruit. And uh, may I tell you that that can only happen when the Lord's in it. So this evening I hope you'll take to heart simple point and simple truth. 
about pride with which you're born. And if you've still got it, you need to pray God's forgiveness to get rid of it because it's a, it's a characteristic of unsaved people. And uh, all through the Bible, you'll have illustrations of issues of pride. But the point is, it's, uh, it's never seen in a positive light among believers. It's, it's there in some cases, but it's a characteristic for which they should be convicted and should be repented. And all the cases where you find the word, you'll sense in it, that's what it's being written about, is it's not good. It needs to be eliminated from your life. And for the believer who starts out with a, um, what do you got on an audacious kind of attitude about wanting to be right with God, the humility issue is a big one to start with. So this evening, I hope you'll take it to heart. We'll not sing in the songs or the invitation of the service. I'll just ask you to stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and you can be on your way, and I hope you'll take with you what you've heard, and may it change your life forever. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, and we thank you for the illustration our Lord has given us about the grain of wheat. And I pray that you'll help all of us in this room, including this preacher, die to self. And Father, to the degree that we die to ourselves, into our plans and dreams and ambitions, and we take on to ourselves your plan for our life and your will for our life and, and recognize that we have no rights in the body of Christ. It's just this privilege that we have to serve you. And, Father, we'd be honored to do whatever you have for us to do. I pray that we may understand then what it is to die to self and be broken before you. And, Father, if you have to break us and you have to crush us, I pray that you'd have mercy in the process because it's certainly not pleasant. <clears throat> it can be at times exceedingly painful. It's not something to which people run to. It's often what people run from. So tonight I pray that you'll help us to see that this is an important ingredient for the servants of the Lord, and that we die to ourselves, and then we become usable, and we become productive or fruitful and effective. So I pray for your help. Pray that you'll bless all the folks who've come. Thank you for their faithfulness, and I pray you'll reward them for that. And I pray now you'll use them in the week ahead with the truths we've heard in our Sunday school hours today, the worship service, and now the evening service. I pray please help us to become doers of the word and not just hearers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.